Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. See, Joey, that's the beauty of argument, because if you argue correctly, you're never wrong. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, today we're going to talk about one of the best movies of all time, Spirited Away. But will our conversation end when we want it to? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about this. I think that our conversations always end way later than either of us want <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely true. It's like we're, we bind ourselves somehow to like doing these three hour. It is non-optimal when our yeah. conversations end. Uh, yeah, and, totally. then, and then you just have to like cut half of them out. When you're at it. Yeah. But except for we... this one. This one's going to be tight. This is going to be the tightest episode we ever record. This is just like we're going to record for like an hour and 45 minutes and it'll be an hour and 40 minutes of pure audio. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how nice that would be for you? <laughs> I can, in my dreams, and my fantasies, I like jerk off to that. I was about to say, it's like your wet dream. <laughs> yeah, so today we're going to talk about Spirited Away, Miyazaki's 2001 movie. I'm excited about that. I've kind of wanted to do a Spirited Away uh, movie for a long time, and this is in honor of he has a new movie coming out after he had retired. Uh, the Wind Rises was supposed to be his last one. It's like The Boy and His Heron, I think. Yeah. The boy and His Heron. <laughs> the boy and His Heron. Yeah. I got like my Heron needle. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited, too. It's, I'm surprised we haven't done that. In 273 episodes, we haven't done Spirited Away. It's kind of crazy. Uh, it's crazy. And he. it's good because, like, how are we going to live up to Blood Meridian in terms of something that I just think is at the pinnacle of like the art that it's participating in. Well, I'll like, tell you how. This I'll is, tell you. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to live up to it by discussing your other favorite uh, paper by Adam Mastriani. <laughs> I mean, okay. So yeah, we have another paper called Do Conversations and When People Want Them To. And it is, and we should just talk about this right now. The first author, Adam Mastriani. Uh, also, Daniel Gilbert, I guess this was when he was still in uh, in that lab, as you said. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, we should talk about just first, like, are we obsessed with this guy? Like, do we secretly like him? Feel feel like the obsession is a little bit more from you, um, but, you know. I'm, I don't I'm, know. I'm here, for, I'm here for the in, ride. You put this in the slack, though. No, you did. I did? Yeah. 
But I don't think I knew it was him. In fact, like you literally in the Slack it literally says, I feel like this Mastrani guy is giving us a lot of good material. That's true. <laughs> Fine. It's not the point. <laughs> I had blocked out, or at least I had merged two of the other ones that we had done of his, but including this segment. Um, this will be the fourth time we talk about him in, I don't know, like a little over a year. Yeah. Like more than Borges. I got two two things to, that's right, more than Borges. Two (laughs) things to say about that. One, Adam, I haven't met you and I'm sorry. I'll probably see you at the conference and I'll have to apologize in person. Uh, two, for what it's worth, I mean, it means that he's doing some interesting stuff. So, you know, that's what I think is what explains it. Like, or it's like a possible explanation. He works on these interesting topics, but just in a way that like reveals like the sickness at the heart of the American spirit or like the modern spirit. Except for that two, two of the conversations were like fairly favorable. One was a critique, which you always nut on critiques of social psychology, which he gave. You didn't nut on that one. No, because that's the one that I wasn't so positive about. And I didn't really stick up for it. That much, no. Um, and and then the the first time we talked about it was this blog post that he did about things could be better, and like at least I was fairly positive about it, and you weren't too negative about like the the presentation of that article in this conversational blog style. Uh, we're like, oh, yeah, people should write more like this. But even there, I think there were the seeds of some of the issues that we yeah. might have with there him were. subsequently. You know, yeah, yeah. But this paper, I think there's, inter- uh, we can talk about it in in a way that's not too uh, bad, just because I think the topic is interesting. So like we could just talk about the topic. Well, um, yeah. As far as it goes, like the studies are, yeah, you seem to think they're they're well done. Yeah. It's just that they like reflect the diseased soul of like America. But other than that, <laughs> uh, I, I should say uh, the other two authors are Gus Cooney and Tim Wilson, also social psychologists of, of good repute. So, so yeah, this is a PNAS paper, uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and it's two studies. One of them is just a survey study asking people, like the big question that they're trying to ask is, uh, how do we determine when to end conversation? So like, it's just part of being social creatures. We engage in conversations with people all the time. And it's kind of an interesting question as to whether or not people agree about when to finish conversations. And I think we've all been in the position of wanting to end a conversation before it ended. And probably in the position of wanting to continue a conversation that the other person did not at all want to continue. I, I mean, a hundred percent for certain I have been on the side of the, this person clearly wants to end the conversation with me <laughs> and I'm still talking. It's not that I really want to continue it necessarily, but I still find myself talking, you know? <laughs> right. And I think that what, this is one of the things that interests me about this topic is that there is just, there's not a whole lot of structure to communicate those things. Like you have to, and I'll, I, I want to start with an anecdote because I, this anecdote, uh, this happened to me in college and it, it kind of illuminated the way I thought about these things. It, I had a friend who was blind, like hundred percent blind. Like when he was 12, he, he had some, some, uh, disease that completely left him blind. 
And I liked the guy. And every time I'd see him walking around campus, we'd end up getting in conversation. But I found him a little annoying because we always talked way too, like, I, I just wanted to go and he would keep talking and talking. Right, because he couldn't read your face. Well, that's the thing. Like, I realized after some time, like way too, like embarrassingly too much time, that all of the cues, like bodily cues, like when you're walking across campus and you're trying to get to like a class or whatever, he could he didn't have access to any of it. And I realized I just had to insert some clear auditory, like verbal cues that I wanted to end it. And he was fine. And he was just like, all right, talk to you later. And I yeah. was like, oh, this whole time I've been thinking that he's just like a hanger on, you know? Yeah. But no, to insert I mean, those verbal things like on purpose uh, was kind of foreign. Right. Of course. Because yeah. I think so much of the stuff just gets done unconsciously. It doesn't always work. And I think, you know, a lot of people are bad at reading these kinds of clues. I don't think I'm particularly awesome at it, but I can definitely see in people's faces, holy shit. Oh, they want this to stop. Okay. I got to wrap this up. Like, how do I do this? You know, like, uh, yeah. you know, like a light leaves their eyes a little bit. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know? totally. It's like they had one of those strokes. That's not obvious. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then it's like, I don't feel like I like, I'm not trying to st- keep doing it i want to also give them what they want i just wonder how quickly i like saw that you know right right could i ask you what do you do like students who come to your office and talk like do you ever have the problem where you can't just can't get rid of them no like like there i i'll be like okay you know you know if that really needs to wrap up i'll just be (laughs) like okay well this was good like i i'm pretty direct about something like that i could see you being a little bit more of a, oh, a sucker to like I'm a, yeah and i'm like the opposite in that i i give off a vibe um that like i they're my best friend you know and i would want to talk to them forever and uh, so now i've largely solved that problem by making since i teach such a big class my office hours i just make them 15 minute uh segments and then the next person comes and i have to go but early on before i was both had that structure and learned to be more direct i used to just be like oh my god what do i do and i would just pretend i had to go to the bathroom (laughs) is that this whole podcast like 11 years (laughs) it's just like you didn't know how to tell me that you wanted this conversation to stop i feel feel like i've told you a lot worse than i've learned (laughs) i've learned to be more direct uh, (laughs) over the years no but yeah no sometimes it can be shocking i thought that we were having a good conversation totally. and, then, and then it's like but now i see that like uh you know it's, uh, other times it's like yeah whatever one of us needed to like give off the signal like i'm glad it was you yeah oh re- okay so speaking of that recently i was at this uh, cornell hip-hop um, cornell has a hip-hop museum and every once in a while they bring in like really cool people um like hip-hop legends pretty much and I went to an event where there was this guy who was like a producer for Public Enemy. Like I wanted to talk to him. I, I was just so excited to talk to him. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm waiting afterwards. And the guy clearly is trying to talk to like the women in the audience who have come up to him. <laughs> and he sees me hanging around. And I know exactly what I look like. I look like a desperate fanboy nerd yeah. dude like who just wants to talk to him. And he's clearly trying to give off the vibe that like he doesn't he's not trying to talk to me and i see it and i don't care i'm like i like i'm i'm gonna talk to this guy no matter what it's a coordination problem tamler it it, that's the thing that 
is <laughs> illuminating uh, is that it is revealed to be a coordination problem. So should we describe the two studies? Yeah. So in the first study, it was just a survey study where they asked people to report on a conversation they had the day before they took the survey um, and just report how long it was when they wanted it to end and when they thought their their conversation partner wanted it to end. So then they, you can calculate the difference between when you wanted it to end and when you think your partner wanted it to end. And turns out, like even in that survey study, there was a discrepancy. People seemed to realize that they wanted it to end at a different time from their conversation partner. Some people wanted it to end more, sorry, sooner. Some people wanted it to end later. Um, and if you were just to average the two, it seems like people are being kind of accurate. But when you look at at the absolute value, you see that people uh, were actually quite off um, from their conversation partner. Um, we the, we began by I like the way it's described. We began by calculating the difference between the conversation's actual duration and each participant's desired du uh, duration. It's like you should have like heist music, like when they're like describing the heist, you know, like playing to this. On average, participants wish their conversations had been one point one nine, no, one point nine one minutes longer than they were. Uh, but then it explains that actually, no, right. It means that the difference between desired and actual durations were, are averaged across participants. The differences with positive signs and negative signs largely cancel each other. Reveal. Yeah. Twist. Yeah. Twist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that will actually be a recording. Yeah. <laughs> the tape was on loop. So, which is actually a good point. You know, average, taking just averages often does hide interesting things. Um, and in this case, it's pretty clear that they were after the absolute value. So. But like, what did they ask? I don't know if they showed us this, but it was like, how many minutes would you have liked the conversation to be versus how many mi minutes was it? Yes. If I, like, who yeah. thinks like that? Who thinks like, I wanted that to be nine minutes, but it was that's, 12 minutes. That's especially the problem with that study one. Like, that's a weird, it's a weird thing to think about. Like, I don't know if, so if I just asked you right now, yesterday, what conversation did you have? Uh, how long was it? Right, I right. First of all, like how, like how, uh, like, like I don't uh, time the conversations. Yeah. And second of all, like I just don't, I wouldn't know how long it was. I wouldn't be able to give an estimate of how long, like they first asked, did it go longer or shorter than you wanted it to? That might be a meaningful thing. Um, yeah, because we have a sense of that. Like, yeah. Uh, but not for everyone. It's really just when it like went on way too long and or it's a person you didn't want to really talk to at all. Yeah. It's rare right. that like like I think about that like when we're talking on the phone or something about yeah. like the next no, episode. Right. And like and, and it wouldn't make any sense to like be like, you know, me and you talking to to Liza or Bella, like what how how long did you want it to go on? I'm like, I don't know, indefinitely, <laughs> like forever. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, definitely three minutes longer, but <laughs> three, <yeah. laughs> three minutes and like 45 seconds. Yeah. Longer. So that's, that's weird. The, so the second study actually brings people into the lab and has strangers into the lab and has them actually engage in conversation and they tell them it can be as short as a minute or as long as 45 minutes. And then right that's, afterwards. That's so weird too though. I know that's, that is, it is weird. Um, <laughs> But at least this one was bringing real, like they were having real conversations where maybe you were in the mindset of thinking about time because you were just told 
like and you know that the study is going to be an hour no matter what and so yeah. you can you can kind of be um uh vigilant about time in this case and it turns out that the results are pretty much pretty similar to the hypothetical uh, or not the hypothetical the, the study one the survey study but yeah. w- what does that reveal like under this kind of artificial environment which we rarely are in that that matches like self-reports about the last conversation we had which was probably would om- certainly not in this kind of artificial environment I, I i i get that they're trying to say that this means that our survey we have to take our survey results seriously but i, I don't totally see that no but if they were wildly different then it, it would be you couldn't say that they're similar like you can't say I still don't similar. think you can. They're completely different. Uh, no, but you phenomena. for sure couldn't. But you for sure couldn't. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it could be that there is some commonality to like our assessment of, of conversation. I, I mean, I'm with you. Like it doesn't it doesn't say much, but it would it would definitely sort of defeat it if it was way different. You would just have to be like, wow, this is a very artificial environment. And anyway, like they get this finding that on average there's a discrepancy of seven minutes. I think it was in study two. Yeah. yeah. Um, between how long you wanted it and your participant wanted it. And there you at least are getting two. You're, like study one couldn't ask the other conversation partner, but this one gets to ask both of them. So mm. whatever like fucked up kind of way of thinking, at least you're getting both of them. <laughs> you're getting both of them <laughs> right. to do the same kind of way of thinking. I guess seven minutes out of 20 is a lot. Like if if all you did was have people come into a study and engage in a friendly conversation and you showed that some of those people wanted it to be way different than it actually was, then that's that's at the very yeah. least showing a, a, a coordination problem. But I don't like calling it that, though. No, it's no, just I know. freaking <laughs> life. So it's transactional. <laughs> yeah. And like prisoner's dilemma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, and even they point out something that I hadn't really thought about, which is um, that what really complicates this and what really makes this a hard thing to, to, I think, even conclude anything from is that the dynamic between two people having a conversation is so like you're, you get layers of meta where I might want to be talking to you longer, but then I see I think you don't want to be talking to me and maybe I'm wrong, but that influences then how much I want to be talking to you. So like, it's just feeding into itself in a way that's I think really hard to, to simplify down to like just this like seven minute difference. Like I'm not, I'm just not sure that you can do much with the estimate. Like I think the best you can say is that people just disagree sometimes about. Yeah. And sometimes people fucking talk too much and they get carried away. And the other person is like, ah, and sometimes this is because it's a person that just does this, like the, uh, what we do in the shadows. Do you remember (laughs) the energy vampire, the energy (laughs) vampire? Like there are people like that where it's just like, it's brutal, but like, I'll have this with my friends. They, and I think they definitely have it with me where I just talk a little too much or they talk a little too much. We want to get off the phone. You know, phone is where you can really kind of misjudge it. I think because you're lacking the eye signals. Yeah. But it's fine. It's not a coordination problem. I mean, so, well, accuracy would be a weird thing. The, the normative standard of accuracy to say that this is like a, you know, there's, there's an error going on here. It's such a high bar to think that two people would ever estimate like come up with an estimate that's the same you know what this is it's like the alan fisk frame it's the wrong framework 
for right. this. That's how I feel about it. It's like using market framework to value like a person. Like you just don't like this. This doesn't compute to me anyway. Yeah, like in maybe like with that. the exception it's not about of like, accuracy. Yeah, what? maybe with it. Maybe with the like the real exception of certain professional conversations where like people mm. are very much already in that framework of like if you ever talk to like one of these people who are like i don't know like the mark cubans of the world where right, they're like right. trying to optimize their time sure yeah. yeah in that case absolutely this is this is what i mean about this revealing like the sickness of the american <laughs> spirit and like whatever like it's uh, you are trying to turn everything into a transaction that you can optimize. And it, it's not necessarily zero sum, but it, but you're still, I think, thinking about it in a deeply wrong way, which is why I think a study like this, no matter how well it's like. It does reveal so something. Yeah. It reveals something. Yeah. You know, absolutely. like he says, so this is in the why it matters. The fact that conversations do not end when people want them to may seem like more of an oddity than a calamity. After all, what's a few minutes between friends? Kind of like what I was saying. In some cases, the answer is, is not much. And yet, it isn't difficult to imagine how the massive failures of coordinations that our studies demonstrate could have serious consequences. For example, nearly 10% of the dyads in study two did not get what they wanted because both conversants wanted to talk longer than they did. The more we learn about conversation, this is the, this is the thing, the more we learn about conversation, about how it begins and ends, runs and stalls, delights and disappoints, the better positioned we will be to maximize its benefits. Like, I, like right, I think that, you've already lost if you're that, thinking of conversation that way. Right, but that first point, uh, jargon aside, um, I think is consistent with what you're saying. Like there is a, a shame. There would be a shame if if like we went around thinking that people were trying to like get out of conversations with us and we were both thinking that and that would be sad. It's like it's like finding out like 10 years later that in seventh grade your crush actually likes yeah. you too. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yes. So that's kind that's of a true. nice thought. Like maybe people like actually would if they they would take some more time to talk to each other. I don't know about did not get what they wanted, but that's weird. (laughs) But I agree that there is like, like a lot of these studies, it's like the, I do think it's like the wrong paradigm or the wrong like framework in the Alan Fisk way. But the thing that they're gesturing at is like true. Like what if, like what if a lot of these times where I think the person doesn't want to talk or they think I don't want to talk, we actually both secretly do. And we could have maintained the connection instead of gone back to like right. our phones or whatever. If yeah. you insert fucking instead of talking, you really yeah. see the tragedy. <laughs> well, that can end though. Uh, prematurely. <laughs> speaking of things that can end prematurely. So, you know, uh, sort of like along the lines of the spirit of what you're saying, I was watching, and maybe this can transition us to to the next conversation, but I was watching a a Miyazaki uh, documentary um, on on Max on HBO. And there's a point where he is talking uh, to the documentarian. He says something like, you know, people say that like, the point of life is to be happy. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense. He's like, what? Really? He's like, do you really think that that's what you want out of life is to be happy? And he's like asking the, the, like the, the interviewer. Yeah. Um, and he's like, uh, like, 
I come in like every day. I work every day or like this colleague of his works every day. He's like, I don't think they've been happy a single day that they've been at work. But like, <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> but that's not why you do it. Like, he's like, that's so weird to think that that's what you want out of life. <laughs> Yeah. May I direct you to John Stuart Mill, <laughs> Jeremy Bentham? No, I know it is a uh, it is just something else to optimize your happiness, you know. Yeah. And where what what Miyazaki is after is more ineffable, you know. It's more like it's, yeah. he's chasing the sublime. Like that's a different thing than trying to be happy. Yeah. And not to get too much into it, as the, but as evidence, Miyazaki movies spend about the same amount of time in like hand-drawn human hours of, of like of uh, animation, same amount of time of like somebody like waiting at a bus stop or cooking a meal as they do like the, the action yeah. of the movie. Absolutely. You know? it's yeah. like and the, this... maybe the most iconic scene in the whole movie is exactly that. Yeah. Just stillness. Just and... stillness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is not a All maximizer right. of anything. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for Adam Mastrioni. For uh, at least a Mastroianni, year. Uh, until probably, like, I don't know, mid-January. <laughs> we'll probably do another one of... We'll dig into his archive once more. <laughs> what depressed me is when you said that we talked about him more than Borges. This <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's true, though. Like, by a lot, probably. <laughs> not total. But, no, no, not yeah. so. This year, just like this year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with us? <laughs> All right, we'll be right back to talk about Spirited Away. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Well, it's holiday season. Thanksgiving is about to come up, and maybe you have some anxiety about Thanksgiving or Christmas, getting together with family. I know I do about this particular Thanksgiving. There are certain things... Me and a certain stepmother don't exactly see eye to eye on. So at times like this, adding something new and positive to your life can help counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of this stress and change. It can be something you look forward to. It can help you feel grounded, help you approach whatever potential conflict you might be approaching in a more productive way. And it's not just for holiday season. Therapy can be really helpful for learning positive coping skills, for boundary setting, for feeling more confident, feeling more empowered, being the best version of yourself. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. It is designed to be convenient, flexible, suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash VBW to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash VBW. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode.
Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. This is the time where we always like to take a moment and thank all of our listeners, all of the people who support us, reach out to us, connect with us. This remains one of the best things about doing this podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, you can email us, verybadwizards at gmail.com, tweet at us, at verybadwizards, at peas at Tamler, you can follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook still, subscribe to the subreddit, the Very Bad Wizards subreddit, and you can, this is the time of year where you want to be at your most charitable, the most charitable act possible, setting aside one thing, which I'll get to, is you can rate us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe to us on Spotify, all the things that could somehow lead in some way that we don't understand to a windfall. Just a one windfall. That's all we ask, a windfall. Speaking of windfalls, I said before that I was setting one thing aside as the most charitable act you can do in this holiday season, and I'm also setting aside GiveWell um, and, and just charities in general. But if you'd like to support us in even more tangible ways, you can go to our support page where you'll see a bunch of ways to do it. PayPal, buy some swag, and of course, join our Patreon. We have a bunch of different tiers. Every tier gets you ad-free episodes. $2 and up per episode gets you bonus episodes, including the ambulators, including Overton Windows. And I swear to God, there is a new Overton Windows coming up. $5 and up, you get our Brothers Karamazov series. $10 and up, you get to do our Ask Us Anything videos. And right now on our Patreon, Pizarro has organized a bunch of different collections. Our movie episodes, our Borges episodes, our Ambulators, our Brothers Karamazov, and it's all collected in a very easy way to access on our Patreon. So that's awesome. Uh, thank you so much to everybody. We're so grateful for all that you do for us. All right, let's get to talking about Spirited Away. I feel like this is, we've been leading up to this as a podcast. At least one thread of the podcast has been leading up to this. I love this movie deeply. Like, I think it's the top 10. It's one of my top 10 favorite movies, period. Like, yeah. clearly the best animated movie in my view ever. Yeah, I just love everything about it. I can't wait to talk about it. What's your, what's your feeling about it? Do you hate it? Yeah, I hated this movie. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> you just, that would be a great zag. <laughs> I was just like saving it, saving it. I was just like the most fucked up Ken Tucker's conversation. <laughs> no, I mean I, I love it. Like I can't. There's so many things to love about it, but one of the things that is it's just mesmerizing visually. Like I love yeah. the animation. I love the the design of the of all of the characters and yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, like, Oh my God. And it, it's like one after another, it's like, Oh, the, the spirits are coming off the boat. Like that's the coolest thing I've ever saw. I've ever seen. And then it's another thing. And it's just a picture yeah. of like the bridge at sunrise. It's like, yeah. Every, and, and I also yeah. realize I haven't seen most Miyazaki films as much as I love them. Um, Have you seen Howl's moving castle? I don't think so. Banger. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think Mononoke? I think I've seen no. I honestly think I've only seen Totoro, Kiki's, Spirited Away, but it's like actually Castle in the Sky, a wind, uh, the wind the rises. Wind, definitely not the wind rises. I definitely haven't seen the wind rises. Mm. Yeah, 
Anyway, that, yeah. You sh- but you've I, watched no, like a four-hour uh, Miyazaki I've watched more about Miyazaki than that. that. was before we even decided that we were doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just started watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember because... Like I moved to Houston, Liza's like four or five years old. I remember this other faculty member. She, uh, they had a uh, a kid that was Eliza's age, and they lent us Miyazaki movies. And so I watched it for the first time with Eliza, and then like all the movies because we just got all of them instantly once once we saw them. And um, yeah, and I've probably seen Spirited Away. Uh, I was trying to think today, like it, it's at least probably twenty times. Oh wow! Like I think it's just. I, I can't watch it enough. I Every time I put it on, I feel like I, I, you know, there's certain things that are burned into my brain, but then there's just these new things that, that you learn. And yeah. I just, like, I think it's one of the great things that we've done as, like, a species in the last 25 years. It's <laughs> yeah. so good. It's, it's amazing. So what do you think? Like, it almost seems silly to say, like, what are the themes? It's like one of the themes of the Odyssey or something like that. But, <laughs> yeah, what, right. but what are the themes of uh, Spirited Away? I mean, that's you? one of the things I like I wanted to start with, which is like this movie has so much, obviously not just visually, but like I think thematically, it's almost like you can find whatever you're looking for. But to me, first and foremost, it's a coming of age um, story where really we're following through some fucked up Japanese spirit world, like the mature, like the maturation uh, of Chihiro um, and what she goes through, like what she goes through is so weird and foreign to me, but, but not the humanity of what she goes through. Like the, no, it's like, it's amazingly relatable in that way. Like it could be like a Richard Linklater movie of like a a kid that age going like transitioning to a new period. I was actually thinking Chihiro reminds me of like the like eighth grader about to go into high school uh, in uh, like Days and Confused. A vessel of like a transitionary period to a new stage of life. And this is like what I love about Miyazaki, the Miyazaki that I've seen, is that there is a way that he has never lost the ability to see the world through the eyes of a child. And all of his imagery is, it's like as an adult, you're just like, it's crazy. But like there is a level of confusion and fear and wonder and beauty and, and ugliness to the world that you, you just forget. Like at least I forget all of that stuff. And, and through the craziness of the, of the, the visual storytelling and the characters and like, he just brings you back to this like child's like sense of, of like almost a blooming buzzing confusion, but not. And he, and he makes you feel it. Like he makes you feel the, like, I'm scared. These people don't care about me. I'm like all of a sudden in, in an indifferent like universe and I can't fit in. Like he makes you actually feel that, but through this thing that we like have almost no, you know, understanding of the mythology of it. And the mythology is, Right, especially uh, as non-Japanese like it, people, right? Like, there's stuff in this movie that, like, I have zero background. Yeah. And from what I, like, from the research I did, some of it's just stuff he made up. It is yeah. just, uh, like, a kind of pastiche of his imagination and the, like, Japanese-Chinese mythic landscape. I, it, you know, it reminded me, as I was thinking about themes, it reminded me of 
Docker in the sense yeah. that it has a fairly simple narrative. Chihiro has to rescue her parents who have been turned into pigs and bring them back to like the Earth world. But that is just a vehicle for it being about like life and humanity and yeah. nature and like capitalism and like everything. Ch- well, coming of age. Absolutely. Childhood to adulthood. Names. Like what a yeah. name. Identity. About, like, yeah. Identity. Growing up. And just the way people can be on your side and then not on your side. And you it's confusing to you and you can't help. And it's just like, like Stalker, it looks amazing. Like if you just wanted to appreciate it visually, as the, like just for the visual aesthetic of it, it gives you more than enough yeah. for any, from any movie. But then it also has all these other things. So yeah. I also like, thought of Stalker just because of like those, the, just like the long trolley ride, um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and there's just like, a patience, a patience with this, the like stillness yeah. that I didn't even make that connection. Yeah. Uh, although I like thought of stalker, but you're right. Those are the two like things. Maybe you remember the most about each movie yeah. and it's a long train ride through this like crazy world that you don't fully understand. You know? Yeah. I don't know if you've come across this term that, that Miyazaki uses ma to refer to, mm-hmm. Those, yeah, like the, the, just the moments, the still moments in between, he describes it as in between claps, like the silence in between claps. Um, There is a way that Miyazaki has of getting, when you said like that feel of being a child, he gets at this non-rational sense of what it feels like to be whatever, a child or a human um, in a way that like, as we were talking before recording, you just have to like let you just have to let the movie happen. You just have to like trust that like you're on a ride. And it's not like a people compare it to like Alice in Wonderland. And I really don't like that comparison because as much as I love Lewis Carroll and Alice in Wonderland, that really is more random. Like that's not that's like a bunch of just like cleverness and like a, a cool, quirky story. This is not just that. Like you have like a, yeah, you have like a little girl who's in, who's thrust into this like crazy world for which we don't know the rules, but there are rules and there is a, a a real, um, communication of something deeper going on in this movie than I think in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not going to shit on Alice in Wonderland just because I I haven't read it since I was a kid, Yeah, but no, it's great. Uh-huh. It's just not, it's just a different thing. I think people yeah. hang on to like the surface. They're like, oh, this is like a, you know. The, Coming of age girl. Yeah. Like, and, and weird shit happens to yeah. a girl in some world that she doesn't understand. Um, and that's, but I think that's the only real. Well, I am inclined to agree with you without even having any <laughs> memory of Alice in Wonderland. Like there's no way it's as good as this. <laughs> right, no. I like what you say about also you just have to let it wash over. It is one of the just let it wash over you movies without it being like a hundred percent just surreal dream logic. There's a lot right. of dream logic, but there's also a lot of like it actually the movie itself talks about rules. Yeah. In right. a way that you know, there are constraints and there's a weird kind of morality in the it's not just surreal uh images that we can interpret any way we want. Right. Um it's not a puzzle movie at all 
Oh, like there's zero percent of it is that. It's not like when is she dreaming? I think she, you know. That's what I love about it. Like he goes to great lengths to be like, no, this really happened. And yeah, what you were saying about rules. I think, again, this is like captures this. When you're a kid, you don't know the rules of the adult world. Mm -hmm. You know, you just have to kind of like learn. And sometimes you are like thrown into a situation where you have yeah. no idea what the like how you're supposed to act or like what right. the rules are, and then adults get mad at you because you didn't like follow the the right one. And it seems arbitrary, like <laughs> it totally not letting, yeah. like how, how could you let no face in? Like, yeah. Why wouldn't I let this person <laughs> caught right. out in the rain? Like you've been just welcoming them, ushering <laughs> them through the door, you know? Like all right, let's should we get into it? Yes. All right, so the movie starts, uh, Shihiro is a, I guess, 10, 11-year-old girl. Yeah. She is lying in the back seat, just depressed because her parents are moving her from one one town to another. She has to change schools. Um, she's not happy about it. And this is, you know, another reason I love this movie is like, you know, I had just me, my wife and, uh, my girl. And, you know, we had to move, I guess we only moved when she was four, but like, it is hard for a girl to, to, to move places. And she's, she's a bit whiny. She's a bit clingy, clinging to these flowers that she was given as like a going away present. She's clinging to her like familiar past. She's not being a brat. That's the thing. Nothing's ever clear cut. The thing I love is, when she's like my first bouquet and it's for me leaving yeah and then the mother's like you got a rose uh that one time and she's like a rose isn't a bouquet <laughs> so it's like that's the kind of thing a kid does when they're in the mood they don't want to be cheered up they don't want to they just want to wallow in how shitty everything is right and like and i don't know a beautiful if you moved, little moment there yeah i don't know if you moved when you were a kid but it does suck and like yeah. The the parents are minimizing it. They're like, "Look, there's your new school. Like, isn't that exciting? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. It, your your life as you know it has been completely upended. And and of course, she's feeling terrible. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and the parents are not great parents. <laughs> they don't like, seem like great parents. They at all. They, um, they are putting up with her, but barely. They're very proud of their Audi four wheel drive vehicle. <laughs> they see these statues, these like old statues of uh, like spirits or demons of some kind. Yeah, and those are the like the little Shinto gate uh, you see at the beginning. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, that four wheel drive. And this also a bad parent. He's just like speeding down this like forest path, like going way faster than he should be. It's almost like he gets possessed for a second. He's like, don't worry. They get possessed. He's moving. They don't know where they're going. Like, why are they doing this? You know, (laughs) it's just for more money, clearly. Totally. And they end up at this like abandoned tunnel. They decide to go exploring. The father says, oh, this is an abandoned theme park. There were tons of that. So I guess Japan had like a, a boom in the 80s and then a bust in the in early the 90s. 90s. Yeah. yeah, their lost and decade. Is this uh, an abandoned theme park? No, right? I don't know. You know, I don't know. Or is there it, no it, answer it, to that it, question? It could be. It, like, it could very well be that the spirits have taken over. But whatever the bathhouse is looks older than that, right? Like, I, But yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't, there's no rides or anything like that. It's just, uh, it would be like Epcot Center or something if it was yeah. a, a theme yeah, right. park. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. It is a liminal space, though. It gives off liminal space vibes. I think <laughs> this movie 
<laughs> the train ride is is the most liminal thing like on a film. <laughs> Liminality <laughs> has has been optimized. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, so it's so liminal that she's like disappearing. Like half of yeah. her isn't there. <laughs> it really it looks on the edge of being real and not real. Like it looks like just an abandoned something. Um, because it has all this like overgrowth on it, but then all of a sudden there's food, like like really like not for you probably, but for meat eaters. <laughs> Real disgusting looking, it, like really good looking food there. Uh, and and meanwhile, Shahira on the way like through the tunnel, she's being like, oh, don't go there. Like we're gonna get in trouble. Like don't you know, overly cautious, overly safe kind of. What are you doing? And the parents there, yeah, let's go exploring. This could be cool. Like why not? You know, like they have the right idea there. Yeah, you know, they are, whatever the right balance is, they don't seem to have it. Like when they're crossing the the river and the rocks, they're just like ru- rushing on ahead of her and she's like tripping up like in a way that... Yeah. Like you <laughs> yeah. said, it's like they're possessed almost from the get-go. <laughs> yeah. uh, the mother says, stop clinging to me, yeah. you're going to make me trip, which is kind of an interesting line. Both clinging being like this Buddhist thing of you're not supposed to try to hold on to things. But then also, like, the parents view her as, like, an obstacle, like, <laughs> right. uh, on their path to success. Yeah. And then they just start eating and just, what you said earlier, the dad's like, don't worry, I have credit cards and cash. <laughs> and, like, this is a not too subtle. This is the, like, the commencement of the critique of capitalism. <laughs> yeah. And, and the kind of greed of adulthood as well though you know like i don't think it's constricted just to capitalism it's just this is stuff that like plato was talking about you know the leaky jar they're just like shoving shit down their throats right and i I think it's like both like super local like in that it's a critique of maybe that specific generation of japanese people um Mm -hmm. and also like what you say yeah meanwhile chihiro's she doesn't want any of the food that's the kind of thing with her. It's like she doesn't want to take things that don't belong to her. Yeah. This is all very scary. Like, I wish I remembered, like, Eliza's, like, how she was when we first saw it. Because she was definitely young. She was probably six years, five, five years old, six years old max. Yeah. Like, was that, was this terrifying to her? Because all of a sudden it gets dark. Like, these people start kind of like these spirits, these black spirits or just start populating the place. The music, music is so good in this movie. Yeah, it's amazing. And, and she starts wandering away, and this is terrifying. This is a nightmare. I think it's, it's the whole movie seems to me terrifying. Like, if I just switch on my little kid brain, it's terrifying. Like, the whole thing is terrifying. And I did listen to a podcast, that I, a pop culture podcast that I listened to, and, and one of the guys was saying, he's like a huge Miyazaki fan, and he he's like, I think I showed it too, too early to my kids. Like, they were just really freaked out. And, yeah, there's a lot of imagery that I think is hits exactly the button of what <laughs> scary is to kids. What's interesting is the first part of the movie, there's also parts that are more welcoming and warm, but yeah. the first part of the movie is just all scary. It's like, oh my God, my parents are doing something that I'm uncomfortable with. They don't seem to care that I'm uncomfortable with it. And then all of a sudden that becomes magnified into a whole spirit, like alien spirit world that is coming to life in the moment as it gets 
gets dark and and then my parents I go back to my parents and they are pigs. They're just actual <laughs> pigs. That that yeah. is a terrifying scene to Jesus. Me. like even to me. Like they turn and they're just like just full on hogs. <laughs> And, and like the father is so full that he like falls over, yeah. like he like falls over from the stool on the ground and just starts like barfing up like Ugh. some of the stuff that he's eaten. It's a lot of, barf a lot of barfing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's he's not pulling any punches in terms of how he presents this. Yeah. This is like your worst nightmare. Your parents turned into pigs, <laughs> and then she just <laughs> runs away. Um, I think because it's not totally clear if you're her that they're her parents. Right. They're dressed like her right. parents. <laughs> but that's like one of the images that is burned in my brain is when they both look up and they're pigs. Like uh, from the totally. first time I saw it, there's certain images like that that are the ones that I can see in my brain anytime. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So then uh, Haku finds her, right? Yeah. We, yeah, just takes an interest in her. Now she's completely helpless, right? She's alone, and Haku kind of explains, like, this is, I think, the first time in the movie where if you're a kid, you're like, okay, good, we have this guy that's going to help her through um, this horrible situation that she's in. And then she starts, again, this is very nightmares. she starts to fade. Like, she starts to be transparent. And he says that she has to eat something from the spirit world to make her not completely fade away, right? Right, yeah. And so she reluctantly, in, in, a, in a scene that's, that has some symmetry with a later scene, he, he sort of coaxes her to eat something and swallow yeah. it, and she gains solidity again. And uh, Yeah. yeah. Do, you, and, do you take anything bigger from that other than it's just nightmarish that she's fading away he gives her something to ground her is it like she has to do something to accept that she's in this new world i mean there is there is to me like the that's the uh, the first physical manifestation that she might lose her identity um i think is in her fading and then the food thing i'm just not sure like it's it seems to be such a theme in this movie <clears throat> the things that you eat are important. Right. I think she has to, you know, in the metaphor of her going to a new place, like a new school, she has to do something that grounds her within that uh, yeah. that world. Now the spirit world fully comes to life uh, and there's uh, a boat coming. Yeah. And it's the like, spirits coming off the boat is another one of those images. But now that's just wonder, you know. Yeah. Like when you see that, it's like this is, you know, the the music, just the imagination of all the, the spirits coming off the boat. It's just like now I'm like Chris Farley when it comes to that scene. Like that that, <laughs> that, that thing cool. where, that was awesome, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, like that transition into night, all the lights come on, the sort of town becomes alive and, and the bathhouse yeah, bath is open, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and the bathhouse is amazing. There's a weird thing where she has to not breathe. Across and she bridge. goes across the bridge. That's the first interaction with no face. Um, yeah, and that and, always creeps me out too. Like the first time, like the spirits. Yeah. So she has to hold her breath so that the spirits don't see her, according to Haku. And and she's holding her breath, but there's just one spirit that sees her and follows her, which is just like pops out to you in the way that like that yeah. Hitchcock scene does when like all the faces are looking at the tennis ball. Uh, and like there's a one face <laughs> staring at you yeah, strange, strange. yeah. And, and this one is just like wait 
that one spirit sees her even though she's holding her breath. Yeah. Like, yeah. And we have to talk about what it is about uh, her that draws uh, no face to yeah. her. Because you're right, it comes so early on. Yeah. Yeah, and she almost gets across the bridge without breathing, which is impressive. But... I was holding my breath this this last time that yeah. I watched it. I was trying to hold. And I, made I it just remember as long that as the frog, yeah. like I like I remember that the frog uh, breaks it. It doesn't seem like that big a deal. I guess it just kind of sends. I guess narratively, the idea is now she has to get a job and and work in this place because yeah. people are going to be looking for her. And maybe they could, you know, maybe Haku could have done something. But he he seems like he's like you did great. It's fine. Yeah. So then he tells her what she has to do. The only way for you to live here is you need to get a job and you need to work and you need to just keep asking. Yeah. And and then she has to go down these like really steep steps that are like That's another the, scene that's just so amazing. Yeah. It's just so, so well good. done. Yeah. Yeah. So like we're we're getting, you know, he's he's laying out the 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 like layout of this this little mini city, this park. Um because later on we'll we'll be familiar with it uh, in a later scene. But as she's walking down these dark, steep steps, it gets to the exact thing that you were saying about her being a sort of anxious kid. Like, yeah, she is uh, sitting down on the steps, putting you know, pulling out a leg out to get to the next one, super reluctantly. And going then she, backwards, she, yeah, yeah, going backwards exactly like the way the way that babies have to go down steps uh, until she hits. A, a step that breaks and she just like flies down. Runs. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a like, like foreshadowing to where like later on yeah. something like these, these stairs is not even remotely a problem. Yeah. You know, exactly. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and, you know, yeah. she, she falls, she catches her step and runs down the stairs and smacks right against the wall. And like, it's just one of those cases where it's, you know, sure it was dangerous the worst thing that could have happened probably did happen, and she was fine, you know? Yeah. Eliza, at, at certain point in her life, could be uh, a little too cautious about yeah. things like this. Not actually when it was something like this where it was, like, dangerous because she could fall or something like that. More because she could get into trouble. But it's yeah. that same thing where she just had to let herself go, and then once she did that and she realized it was fine... That's the thing you have to do. By the way, we haven't talked about this. You watched this. I only watched this subtitled after I watched it dubbed, I think, the first time. But you watched it dubbed recently in yeah. addition to subtitled, right? Yeah. I watched the subs and then the dubs. like With Vic Mackey as the father. With Vic, I was about to say. I have a real problem with the dubbed version, but uh, just right at the end. But we'll talk about that when yeah. we get to the end. But it does something kind of unforgivable. <laughs> so then she meets uh, Kamaji, a six-handed kind of gruff but kindly man with six arms yeah. that runs the boiler room. In the depths of the bathhouse. Yeah, such a great character. Like has these like dark glasses on and like kind of spider shaped um, and his arms extend and he has to like... Yeah, he has to run the boiler room that heats all the water for for the bathhouse and is like constantly working and has these little soot sprites that are just these like enchanted, you know, little things of soot that that pour the coal into the boiler. The boiler, by the way, 
just like I don't even know if thematically, but it just reminded me of Moloch in Metropolis, you know, like the big, the great big furnace that yeah. they, they feed people to. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. The soot balls, the little soot balls are the first indication of like, oh, this is a kid's movie. You know, we're giving <laughs> something for the kids. They're like the first, like, slightly Disney-ish touch yeah. in what has been to this point completely terrifying <laughs> you know and they, they yeah, like, they're, they're kind of slapstick they're yeah. cute they're uh yeah they're like know. the japanese minions you know like <laughs> <laughs> exactly eliza's has very fond memories of the sit balls because they're funny they're they immediately are on her side yeah especially since like i think that when when that little soot sprite uh like gets smashed and she helps it out um, uh, I think he noticed he didn't, he encodes that. Um, yeah. Even though he seems annoyed while he doesn't give her a job and he kind of tells her like, I can't, like you can't take other people's jobs. Like the soot, this is the such job. They're taking our um, jobs. You go, go up to you, Baba and, and ask her. And then a character Lynn comes down who l looks like a human, but yeah. it clearly isn't a human. Right. So yeah. it's just like they can take human form in the spirit world. And we never find out what Lynn actually is. No. Right. Right. So Lynn is now like another figure, a little like Kamaji, who is like, oh, I got to deal with this, but is actually kind of on her side. And the Kamaji, we uh, <laughs> learn that he's ultimately supporting her because he bribes Lynn with a newt. Yeah. Like a and, and lies newt. and says, this is my granddaughter. Like, give her a job. Yeah. That's right, right. Which is like, oh, like he could, like according to the rules, <laughs> could she be the granddaughter, this even though why, she's like, a human? And he's like, yeah, this is one of the. Like, things, what does that even mean? Yeah, this is one of the things where I like one of the examples of like if you try too hard, like yeah. you'll you'll miss the spirit of it if you try too hard to like get get the rules down. Like you just yeah. don't know. We don't we don't know the rules. Like there, <laughs> it, it could be that Lynn was like, okay, she, he likes her. I, I don't yeah. need to know any more right. than that. Now we get the scene in the elevator where we meet the radish spirit, who, for me at least, I don't know what you think, is a Mount Rushmore spirit in this movie. <laughs> I love the radish spirit. He, he, uh, I'm trying to think what he looks like. He, so he looks like a sumo wrestler, like kind of. <laughs> and an elephant. Like yeah, if you yeah. could combine a sumo wrestler and an elephant. Yeah. And he's, he's just like, what? You you can't tell he's, to what extent he's like being intentional about anything. He's just this big, big. Uh, but he's benevolent. He's benevolent. Like he might yeah. be the most benevolent entity in the movie. <laughs> I think. Or, like even in this scene, he's he's very benevolent. Like he hides Chihiro from Lin's boss when Lin's boss like is I he being like intentional like in hiding her? I, I definitely. Yeah. Yeah. In fact. He takes her up to Yubaba. Yubaba lives on the top floor. We stop at his floor because he had pressed his floor, but he doesn't stop there. He takes her all oh, the way yeah. up to right. Yubaba's and sees her off and then goes down then to his floor. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. so I think he's completely benevolent. He's always also the first to cheer uh, her on, you know, in later scenes whenever she does something awesome. Yeah, he's... I love the rest. Yeah, he's 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 even drawn as like, like a kindly. It's like it's yeah. weird to say that he's like kind of gross looking, but also just kindly looking. Yeah. There's a lot of gross things that you know, but the fact that they're gross doesn't mean that they're bad. Yeah, another you know? good lesson. Yeah, yeah. 
like her coming out and then seeing the doors. So I guess, you know, the, the, the bathhouse is in the Japanese kind of architecture, but then where Yubaba lives is more European, decadent kind of Western. Um, yeah. And, and she's clearly like the, 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 you know, the wealthy capitalist here who's like running the, the, the slave ship of like the whole, the whole endeavor seems to be there to make Yubaba be able to live this way but she's not a villain i don't well think. this is the thing she, about miyazaki i don't think i don't yeah. really think there's good or bad here like there just is you know like the themes yeah. the themes might emerge like his like their critiques of of, yeah. of people but like what you think is good isn't always good what you think is bad isn't always bad and like there's often a flipping and but someone's got to run the bathhouse. Someone's got to run. But but there is to me a very clear like Kamaji is like just busting his ass, working nonstop. Like it's a big yeah. it's a big theme With that everybody's busting their ass and she's getting rich. You know. Yeah. Right. No, that's right. And then she goes out on flights, but uh, we don't know like where or why. Right. Um, yeah. She's yeah. a sorceress. You know. She's a sorceress. Um, she has. She has like a harpy, like a little harpy that looks kind of like a miniature version of her. And then three bouncing heads, green heads, also for me, candidate for the Mount Rushmore oh, spirit. To me, they're movie. just nightmare the fuel. Like they're all of all really? of her. Yeah, all of her. The baby. I, but I love the heads. I mean, they're funny. They're funny. But like they're they're just they're like green necrotic severed heads bouncing around and just like saying I I like them but yeah so Yubaba she says can I have a job and you know already she's just like she's already growing right like she's like come up to this place it's the most terrifying thing ever and she's uh asking for a job and she says no and she said i want a job because she's been told if you just keep asking she's gonna have to give you a job and she says anyone can see her like a lazy spoiled crybaby uh, and she says, please give her a job. And like, you're not clear where this is going, but then all of a sudden the giant baby cries. Oh my God. Man. The giant Munchausen baby. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. The, we don't have the baby reveal yet, but what no, we do we see. We might see like a little bit of yeah, the like, like the uh, Yeah. Yeah. And she, she goes, and then once that happens, like already Yubaba is getting softened just by that. Cause she's so, oh my God. Also, Yubaba, can, can, like Yubaba's character is also to me nightmare fuel. That's just one of the things that I know I saw yeah. before I ever saw this movie, and and to me it captures again this yeah. thing that when you're a kid, old people yeah. can look just super scary, and like yeah. her, like they're made when they have makeup on. And yeah, stuff, like, like their features but, are big and like their wrinkles are big and they get in your face and they're trying to talk to you when you're a little kid. They smoke in ways that are gross. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. And and even just like her jewelry on her fingers is just one of yeah. those things where you could just imagine as a little kid that would just leave an impression on you. Like, yeah. Aunt Bunny is coming to get me. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Like, and the animation is ridiculous so for it. Like, no, totally. She is like she represents scary 
old people, not scary because they're like disconnected, but because they're in charge and they have control over you somehow. Like yeah. your parents dropped you off there. It's like uh, Selma and Patty or something. Like that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> or like the mom. Just, like yeah, shave yeah. her corns. <laughs> <laughs> we already see, if you've said this, but we already see Chihiro um, maturing just from the, from the earlier that day um, yeah. where, you know, she's, She's speaking up. She's speaking for herself. She's obviously like earlier that day, she was afraid to go into a dark tunnel and now she's already made it all the way to Yubaba's and she's being assertive enough, but like polite, not, not rude. Yeah. She's not being a brat. She's always polite. Yeah. That's why I like the Japanese part of her. Yeah. Like, <laughs> once the baby starts, the contracts just floats to her. Uh, Yubaba's like, we, we learn, I guess one of the rules is that if somebody asks her to work, she can put up a fuss about it, but if, like if they persist, yeah, um, then she has to give them work. Yeah. And yeah, persistence is another big theme in this movie. Right. Like, just stick to it, just commit. But then one of the scare, another scary nightmare thing, she literally takes her name. So she was Chihiro, uh, which means. Did you look this up? Yeah. Uh, it means like a thousand questions. Yeah. A thousand questions or a thousand fathoms, but then turns into Sen, yeah. which just means a thousand. She's yeah. become a number, you know? Right. You, Baba, we learn like one of the ways she keeps people working for her is she steals their names. Yeah. And Sen, like very soon, will start to. Forget that she's actually Chihiro. Yeah. Yeah. But she has a job, so that's good in this economy. <laughs> the bathhouse economy, you know. Right. The importance of, of names. Like, I, I've always loved this notion that you gain power by knowing someone's name. Like, it's a very common sort of uh, idea across a lot of different mythologies or cultures. Um, knowing somebody's yeah. name is, is controlling them. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you by Listening.com. I'm excited to have Listening as a new sponsor because it actually fills a need that Very Bad Wizards often has. At least Tamler and I are preparing for our podcasts frequently, and we need to read some scholarly articles. We find PDFs and download them, and it, sometimes it's tedious. It takes time to sit down and find the time to read everything that you need to to prepare. But what listening does is it's an app that can turn any research paper, a PDF, a textbook, even a web page into essentially an audiobook. It can read even math equations, technical words, complicated documents. It knows to skip citations, footnotes, and references, and it lets you jump straight to the chapter or the sections that you want to listen to. It even has a one-click note-taking button where it automatically puts the last 10 seconds that you listen to into a notepad so that you don't have to type notes while you listen. I know a lot of the people who are part of our audience are academics or academic adjacent, or you're so interested in some of these topics that you want to read for your own. And there's no like audiobook service for just random PDFs that you find or the PDFs that we sometimes leave on show notes. So if you want to give listening.com a try, all you have to do 
is go to listening.com. And as a very bad wizards listener, you'll get three weeks for free when you sign up for an account. That's an extra free week above and beyond what people would get normally. So go to listening.com slash BBW. Give it a try. Uh, again, three weeks for free. Listening.com slash BBW. Our thanks to listening.com for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. What do you do? You, do you take any like this idea of the name being. I don't know, something that she has to hold on to or remember. I think what one of the things that I feel when I watch this movie is Miyazaki trying to remind you that like when you do come of age, don't forget who you are in the sense that like mm -hmm. don't sell your soul like like yeah. clearly her parents have, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. Haku comes in I think now and is being kind of an asshole to her, yeah. which is really hard. Like, this is something I remember, too. Like, it barely lasts for, it doesn't even last for, like, the evening or, or like, till the morning. But it, like, breaks her. Yeah. When she thinks she loses Haku, like, when she loses that, it's like she just starts, like, breaking down. Her legs start shaking. She's crying. Yeah. You know? and, and I think Lynn at this point has already warned her that Haku is is like yeah. the um, don't trust him yeah don't trust him so she doesn't know and he's an apprentice uh, for uh, uh, Baba. Baba. yeah and um and so of like of course she can't properly i don't think she can properly take into account the fact that he's having to play this part you know that the, so that to, to keep above suspicion um cuz you know how would you know like especially as a kid and and yeah, the heartbreaking part is when she's like, "Are there two of them?" Like she's just yeah, really are there two of haku. Are there two hakus. Yeah, <laughs> it's like you know, if you move to a new school, or even just you move to a new phase of school, and you have this new friend that is your entryway into this new world, and then all of a sudden they're assholes to you. It's like now you feel so stranded, so alone, totally. so completely devastated. It's like the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, he was the one who grounded her, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. And now she's not, and she literally starts shaking and feels pale and goes to bed. But like what I like about this movie, you know, and this is, and, and Miyazaki in general, with maybe a couple exceptions, he doesn't let it's it's too unbearable. Like, yeah. So he immediately comes that like the next morning and is like, I'm going to show you your parents. Yeah. And, and she knows, OK, I'm back uh, on the side. But like in between that, there's this gorgeous shot of the bridge in the morning, like with the fog and the mist of the yeah. thing. And it's just it's just freaking like a painting. I mean, like an actual like impressionist, like gorgeous yeah. painting. Yeah. And and then we get her. Uh, running to meet Haku to see her parents. And she's already going down the steps like a pro. <laughs> yeah, totally. And uh, this is when <clears throat> she is like starting to forget her own name. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he tells, yeah. he tells her they can't even remember that they were once human. So like she's going to have to, she's going to have to remember what they look like. The the parents are useless yeah. right now. They're, they just fully They're are fully in her hands. Yeah. She needs to. <laughs> and like really them. literally indistinguishable from any other pigs. <laughs> yeah. Here's where he says, Yubaba controls people by stealing their names. But then he also gives her, I guess, human food. So he gave her spirit food. 
so that he would she could be grounded in that place. But now he's giving her like some sort of rice cake to ground her to her name so she doesn't forget her name because he's forgot his name. Yeah. And that's when to me, like I think the one of the most poignant scenes of the movie is once she's eating and she regains her oh, strength, she just breaks down tears. and the tears yeah. just start flowing. And I think I don't know what you think, but it's like so beautiful, yeah, music. It's, oh, it's such a such a moment where she's been clearly running on adrenaline up until now, and this is like a moment where she finally is like letting it all hit her. Yes, and exactly. And uh, like one of the thoughts that I had is that part of what's heartbreaking about about it is that she's eating, and that might remind her of her parents eating and turning into pigs. Yeah, it's. And I think you're right, though. It's more just you've been trying to control yeah. yourself up till now. You keep it together. And then finally, you know, you're given this food. And like, I have a couple of these in my memory that I'm going to try to like not cry about. <laughs> but like, it's just a release. Yeah. And like, it's not a bad thing that she's crying. No. I don't think it's like what it's like. It had been building up in her so much and and the theme i think emphasizes it's like the classic dun 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 dun. she she needed this she needed the release of this yeah yeah totally he meanwhile we find out is also a dragon (laughs) yeah a flying dragon uh he's told her already that he he knew her from before um, oh yeah. yeah, but he doesn't know. He he knows that he, but he doesn't because he doesn't know who he, he is. doesn't know who he, he is. So he doesn't know why he knows her. He just knows that he does know her, and he tells her her name, yeah. and she's like, "Oh yeah, that was my name." Now we get uh, her letting in no face. Yeah. Should we do a no face discussion right now? What he is? He is outside in the rain. She lets him in on her way up to go to work. Like you said, he already had shown some interest in her. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think No Face represents? Yeah, man. It's like the, the, for me, it's like the question of this movie for some reason. I don't know. Um, No Face, to me, I'm just going to say he, he needs people to need him, to like him. He's a spirit that just represents like he'll do whatever he can to get people to like, like him or give him attention. And uh, you see that he's like constantly trying to give people something that she resists, um, whereas everybody else, they fall prey to his little like giving them what their heart desires. Like he gives everybody gold and they get all greedy and he just feeds off of their greed. But he's he absorbs like the value yeah, of the people around. Him yeah, and then definitely absorbs the people he, around. him. Exactly. He becomes the people around him. He, he becomes the voices of the people around him once he absorbs them for real physically. Um, it's like he has no identity like uh, and he just he. Yeah. Yeah. So when he's around her, I think he's fine. He's good. Like he's not. Um, it, so yeah. my my only potential disagreement with what you said is I don't know if he would have done that had Sen at this point. He had he he tried to please Sen and Sen wasn't interested in just having more and more of whatever he could conjure. And it's only then that he starts like uh, like eating other people and trying to give them and gold. Well, yeah, I mean, he he's he was needy to Sen. He didn't seem like he was needy to anybody else. 
But at the same time, he does represent a kind of extreme loneliness. Just a like nobody. He's invisible. Nobody else even sees him. Nobody sees him, um, and he sees Sen. Except, yeah, he sees yeah, Chihiro, and Sen sees uh, No Face. Yeah, and I, I think this is the thing. Like, I feel like he notices her because she is also lonely. Like, because she yeah. needs something so badly that, like, he he kind of gloms on to her because he can tell that she's the one that like needs him, like maybe might need him. Um, and his one chance at a kind of connection, yeah. he just floats around kind of hovering on the outskirts on the periphery of yeah. all this other stuff that's going on. This like really lively, like bathhouse, um, you know, like full of energy and full of people and yelling and stuff. And he's just, you know, he, he's on the outside looking in. Yeah. The, the one thing I would say right now, and then we can just talk about him as he goes. But if you, you talk about no face, you have to think of this idea, like the Zen idea of no face, no head. This idea that what we are ultimately is space for the world. He kind of is that in the way that he absorbs the values and the, you know, if these people are greedy, well, then I'll give them greed. If yeah. these people are nice and they knit, then I'll knit, yeah. you know, and, and be nice. And uh, if, if, if Sen is going to actually help me and show kindness to me, then I will do that. There's a way in which he represents kind of emptiness that is filled in by the world around him rather than anything essential to him uh, or it or whatever yeah. the gender of no face is. Yeah, he, d he definitely gets filled by the world around him for sure. Um, and, and visually he's really like, f like probably the most iconic, uh, like, for sure. just if, like a, from the, th I feel uh, like if you don't movie. even know Miyazaki is, you probably have seen like, you've no seen face. no face. Yeah. Just like you've seen Totoro. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the only one that, you know, like all of Japanese animation, I think that's yeah. close to as iconic as no face. Yeah. And yet he's this weird looking thing. Totoro, like you can kind of get it. It looks like a, a cat, but then also like a seal or a, you know, yeah. like why no, what is no face? He has like, he's wearing a mask. Yeah. He is just a mask, spindly legs that are like in tights or something that kind of peek out every so often. Yeah. It's like, he's sort of like hunched over nebulous black. Yeah. His posture uh, is so memorable. It's, like it's yeah, just that. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like an old. And then I remember like being shocked at like the mouth that comes out of him is like not the mask. You know, he doesn't feed his mask. He feeds just like this mouth thing that emerges from underneath. And if you haven't seen this movie yeah. in twenty two years, <clears throat> like you remember, uh, 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 <laughs> you know, like that's one thing that like nobody like ever forgets and I don't, again it's like why that you know why just saying uh uh yeah. but it's it, it's distressing it's, kind of like yeah it's like this yearning uh this uh, he yeah. reminds me of omar sometimes the kind of sweetness he has a kind of <laughs> inner sweetness like i just want to do good even if i sometimes do bad because other people are bad you know <sighs> yeah yeah um and Sen Chihiro kind of negs him, which makes him I feel like I feel like want her even more when she when she politely refuses the bath tokens. Yeah, like too many. It's bath like tokens. it just makes when him. She just she yeah. takes the one that she needs, to, uh, but she yeah. to clean the tub. So Sen has been given yeah. like the job of 
uh, the most dirty, filthy. That's frog's work. What? That's frog's <laughs> yeah. work. That's frog's You've been work. Given frog's work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like in train spotting the filthiest uh toilet <laughs> yeah, in Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. yeah, but meanwhile, like timing the stink spirit or what most people think is a stink spirit just starts wandering through the town. And this is very cool. Just him wandering through everybody like shut uh, in the restaurants, like shutting their doors and windows. Cause and then they have to, and then everybody has to open yeah, them. And then everyone up. has to open them. <laughs> then he's on the bridge. And yeah. And like, if we haven't said it, this clearly, the place of business is a bathhouse where spirits literally go to bathe. Yeah, right. <laughs> so this dirty stink spirit is, has going to get bathed and they have to fit him in the biggest tub, which is the one that Lynn and, and San Jihiro have been tasked with. You just feel this. You can smell like the stink spirit. Yeah. And it's like, it's like a, like a, almost like lava pouring down the sides yeah. of him, but it's just mud. Yeah. Like constantly, and, like leaking mud. And probably shit, and like uh, oh, it's like the bayou yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. It's like you don't want to know the <laughs> shit that's in there right now. It's just just disgusting sludge that's probably feet like animal species, like dead bodies uh, that have decomposed in it. Like it's just so. I mean, we'll learn that there's a lot more in it too. I guess they have to. He has enough money, or. He's something they have to give him the bath and it's so sad. He just kind of trudges in like a wounded animal and like, uh, and, and, and so, uh, Yubaba who still has it in for, uh, Sen says you have to take him into the bath. Then there's this, this great scene of her essentially trudging through like shit and mud and sludge and like this is like a stalker you know it's like all that stuff where that they're just lying right. in like nuclear waste whatever it is <laughs> and uh she has to like you she ends up using the no face tokens that she originally turned down to wash the river spirit it's actually kind of a beautiful thing when it comes down and really cleans him um to the point where she can find uh, this, I guess, spear that's in him. and Yeah, she notices that there's, she thinks it's a thorn in his side, yeah. but it turns out to be a bicycle hand. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> and Yubaba mobilizes everybody. She knows, okay, this isn't actually a stink spirit. And they pull out all this pollution that's clearly been in this river. And there's this very cool scene. Yeah, and it's, it's such a satisfying. Yeah, it's so it's Such a satisfying. It's yeah. like pulling out a splinter About, in one sense. Yeah. And it's like satisfying yeah. there, but it's also just, yeah. Uh, it's like draining the pus out of a wound, yeah. you know, like the pressure is built up. Yeah. Um, so uh, like catharsis. So Miyazaki, and I, I, like one of the documentaries I watched, like Miyazaki, every, every weekend, every Sunday, he would go, he's part of a group that would go clean up a river in the little town that he's in just as volunteer like when they got there like the river was just polluted it was just nasty and so they he's like goes every day every week he'll go and like mm. clean out that river and now it's like in much so so he was inspired to, for this river spirit yeah when they do it and she like she gets under the water and she sees him as he as the river spirit uh for the first time and he's this yeah. 
Like, I don't know even how you describe him. He looks like a kind of a... The mask. Ma- a wooden mask. The, the wooden... Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's inspired by, like, some actual, like, depiction of some Shinto spirit. spirit. Uh, like the mask. Yeah. yeah it, it's... Yeah, it's cool. It's like... Yeah, you could tell it's like a wood-grained kind of... Yeah. Uh, Almost like an African mask. Yes, like what that's I what it, that's African what it looks mask. like. Yeah, yeah. And it um and and it says well done to her. Yeah. And then wow. everyone cheers in the bathhouse. Like they all pulled together uh, for this. It's like the the radish spirit is waggling his belly and his titties. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's that old yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then it turns out that there was some gold left behind. Right so. in the that was also <laughs> in the river, and then yeah, yeah, back to capitalism. Everybody just back goes crazy for it. Yeah, uh, then they they have to turn it all into uh, yeah to Jababa. Something that was so Jibaba. celebratory that they all worked together for, and now they're all like, "Get out of the way! I gotta get that goal." <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, you can't like we're, maybe we're not talking about it enough, but like it's so clearly uh, the, me, Miyazaki's uh, yeah. Like, he's chiding. Like, he's chiding people for this. This episode of Very Bad Wizards is brought to you once again by GiveWell. It is that season, that time of the year where hopefully you're thinking a little bit more about giving to others who are less fortunate than you. And, you know, when you're making that decision, there's about 1.5 million nonprofits in the United States. And there's millions more everywhere in the world. So how do you know which one could make the biggest impact when you donate? Well, GiveWell was founded to help donors with just that question. They pour over independent studies and charity data to help donors direct their funds to evidence-backed organizations that are saving and improving lives. GiveWell has now spent over 15 years researching charitable organizations and only directs funding to a few of the highest impact opportunities they've found in global health and poverty alleviation. Over 100,000 donors have used GiveWell to donate more than $1 billion. Rigorous evidence suggests that these donations will save over 150,000 lives and improve the lives of millions more. GiveWell wants as many donors as possible to make informed decisions about high-impact giving, and you can find all of their research and recommendations on their site for absolutely free. Nothing. It costs you nothing to get access to all the data nerds, information, and spreadsheets. You can make tax-deductible donations to their recommended funds or charities, and GiveWell doesn't take a cut. No money for them. So if you've never donated through GiveWell before, you can have your donation matched up to $100 before the end of the year, as long as matching funds last. To claim your match, all you have to do is go to givewell.org, Pick podcast and enter Very Bad Wizards. Just make sure they heard about GiveWell through Very Bad Wizards to get your donation matched. And again, we're very proud of the amount that our listeners have given through GiveWell over the years. And let's keep that going this season. Again, that's givewell.org to donate or just to find out more. Our thanks to GiveWell for sponsoring this episode of Very Bad Wizards. All right, so let's go through this maybe more quickly as you were alluding yeah. to, but there's just so <laughs> many, like, there's just, like, you see the train, you know, like a dusk and the ripple waves and the water is just so beautiful. Oh, God. I don't know. The le- next thing on my notes is uh, we get to No Face starting to gobble everybody up. Um, right. 
Chihiro wakes up. Right. Everybody's gone. No Face has first gotten the frog. Did No, did no Face realize that the the gold, the, the way that people yes, reacted he to saw, the gold? Yes, yeah. exactly. He saw the way yeah. people were. He's like, oh, they like gold. Because he saw that she wanted uh, one of those tokens, right? And, so that and token's so in just like that foreman was being stingy with yeah. it, yeah. So now, and now he's like, "Oh, these people want gold." He almost seems like he's being more self-destructive here. Uh, well, yeah, to the extent that he has himself, but like he he's like giving these people what they want, and then ingesting them and ingesting their values. So he becomes like this capitalist, like shithead, just glutton, uh, like the, like (laughs) her parents were. Yeah. And he's literally taking on their, their traits because like he, he swallows the frog and he starts talking like the frog right away. Like he didn't have a voice before. Uh, well, aside from, from, uh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, so, so it's just snowballing because as as he ingests them, like he ingests more of their character yeah. and grows bigger and becomes just, just a monster. Yeah. Meanwhile, like it's now an ocean between her and the pigs. It's just all of a sudden now an ocean. Which again, in like the weird logic, she's like, wow, it's an ocean. And yeah. and like Lynn is like, well, it rained a lot. Yeah. You know, like you're just supposed to accept that now it's an That's ocean. That's very dreamy. <laughs> like dream logic. Yeah. <laughs> but also she's getting farther and farther away from her parents, I think. It's like now there's yeah. an ocean. Right. Um then there's the scene again, one of the like if you like one of the moments that I remember from the first time I saw it and Eliza certainly does too. I watched most of this with her today. Ha- Haiku as the dragon being chased and just having all these things and you don't know. It's like he's been shot with arrows or something like that. But then it turns out it's just these little paper birds. And he's really yeah. wounded, like to the point of like, like he seems like he's dying, and just the way he like, like is moving the up. The, yeah, it's just so hard to watch. It's like it's so hard to watch, and it captures just a wounded animal so, so well, well, even though this is not an animal that we've ever seen. Obviously, it's just so good. Like the animation here, yeah. you, Again, the way that he goes up the yes. wall, he like thrashes. Right. Is just like, yeah, it's an animal that's dying. It's an animal yeah. that's like, it's, it might have stumbled in a trap. It's just like not functioning properly, but it's still desperate to try to uh, save itself. And um, yeah, so now, now Shihiro, like she's been pretty focused on getting a job and saving her parents, but now she has a new mission, which is to save yeah. Haku. And yeah. she like she she comes across the, uh, the uh, no face I think at a certain point, <laughs> yeah, and totally. no face tries to give her all this gold. She's like, I don't need that, and he looks so distraught. Like I think he's already yeah. a frog creature by then, but like he looks so <laughs> distraught when she just doesn't want it, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. He's, he's... and Haku has gone up yeah. to the um, to Yubaba's room, right. like where he's, you know, his his headquarters, and so she's just trying to get up there. So she's just like has no time for it. But again, she's polite. Yeah, she's not like yeah. she she thanks him for his help, like with the bath tokens. Yeah. Um, and she says, "But yeah. I don't need that." And and also, she's like James Bond at this point, like w- walking on a pipe <laughs> yeah. that is like about to like fall. Like whereas before she totally. was going down like a staircase, like backwards. Now yeah. she's just because she has this mission. I got to save Haku. You know. Meanwhile, like uh-huh. one of the the, the uh, paper birds that has been chasing Haku, all of a sudden starts helping her. 
and you're like, what the hell is oh, going I on? I didn't see that it's helping. Well, I didn't he, read he, it as helping she, her at di- all. Re- directing. You didn't see that? She's directing. No, it's hiding. It's hiding on her. What do you mean? Have I misunderstood like it's, this? It's, I, I think it's just hiding. Like, cause every time she turns, like it ha- like hides more. Like it gets on her back. Like it's just trying to get up to the room. To I think it's hiding to, from others, but it's telling her where to go. Like it keeps saying, "Do this." It? Yeah, it's like instructing her. Like verbally? No, but with gestures. She uh, sees it. No, she does see it. I am I crazy? I could. I mean, she knows where you, you Baba's stuff is already. Yeah, like but it, like I thought, it helps her hide when Yubaba comes. No, because this I, we will I find didn't... out is a kind of hologram version of the the kindly twin sister. Yeah. So I like who who is now who we don't not, know is kindly though. Well, yeah. she's not yeah. feeling. She was trying. She was just trying to kill Haku. Yeah. So like I thought she was just like trying to hitch a ride. Because she doesn't know where you bob it. Oh, maybe. God, that would be. Like, then I got to go. Like, yeah, I, I want to look. Uh, at I could. Do, I, I claim no expertise right, here. We'll like, see. I could be totally. I could be the one who. Read um, but either way, either way, either way, it hitches a ride. Yeah. Um, and she ends up in the baby's yeah. room. Here's where we find out that the baby has <laughs> been like, you know, like real Munchausen syndrome, like kind of shit. Where like the baby is. <laughs> afraid of germs afraid of like the like the world so very much like how kind of this is like a cautionary tale for Chihiro I think like you like your parents aren't like this but they you know you wanted them to like coddle you this is what it could have been like you know (laughs) also this baby is the fucking stuff of nightmares Like, this is the most fucked up like oh my god man the only the only other baby that has creeped me out as much as this baby is, uh, speaking of train spotting, the, the d- dead dream oh, yeah. baby <laughs> on the ceiling of train spotting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally. And like, especially when it gets like violent. It's uh, like, I could yeah. break your little arms and it absolutely could oh, break Chihiro's little arms. I felt that. I feel that yeah. when I see that scene, yeah. you know? No, totally. Um, but then we find out that the one that the little paper bird is actually the older twin sister in some form, not a fully solid yeah. form. And she plays, she's like, she clearly has done this to play a trick on Hubaba. She turns the three heads into the baby, she turns the harpy into a bird. And, yeah. yeah, like a little, like a like a little cartoon, little, like cartoon. Again, <laughs> they, there's Disney. where they turn into like Disney. Yeah, they turn yeah, into exactly. Disney. Characters. They're like gonna go dress Snow White, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, like they're Cinderella. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, and Cinderella, then the baby yeah, yeah. turns into a mouse that is very much out of Cinderella. Doesn't seem cheesy. It's charming. And we didn't say like there's blood everywhere, yeah. so it's like actually pretty fucked up. Like this is a a distressing scene. This is a dying animal that's dying bleeding animal. all yes, over the house. Which I don't want to talk about. Um, this juncture of life, <laughs> but, yeah. um, um, and in fact I read about this animation though when so, so we didn't say the river spirit gave a gift to Chihiro uh, after saying well oh done. yes I right. this like a little ball of some <laughs> turd, like, <laughs> like a turd ball, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow she knows that it's like <laughs> some sort of medicine and um, so she She's go- she was going to use that to save her parents, and she's still trying to save some of it, So, but she knows that, that it might be able to like heal Haku, so she 
bites a piece off and gives it to Haku. And I was reading that or seeing something that for this animation, they actually went to vets to see them having to try to like uh, put pills down. I have to do this every day to uh, Omar with it. (laughs) Like because they get it. So he is a dog now. Like I know he's a dragon, but he's just a dog. Like it clearly has an effect. Uh, yeah. Right? Isn't this where he then immediately just squiggles down into the boiler room? Uh, and he uh, yeah, follows, yeah, because the heads were trying her. to throw him down. Yeah. yeah, the heads were trying to throw him down into the boiler room. <laughs> and she goes with him, and she gets a little glimpse of like the memory of yeah. the river right. there as she's going yeah. down into yeah, yeah, an important little plot point of how she knows Haku. Yeah, it's like a memory of him as a dragon. There's this thing where he barfs up the ball, uh, the yeah. the charm, that he, and then yeah. we think it's the curse on it, which she stamps out. But it's it turns out that that's actually um, how Yubaba was controlling him. So Haku was stealing, and this is where you're just like, wait, Haku's stealing, and she's like, I don't believe he would be stealing. <clears throat> um, but that's what we learn. Like once he throws up that gold seal with this like gross black inky slug thing. And that that Jira just squashes with her feet, like just stamp. She just like uh, kills it. But at that point, we think she's stamping out like the curse on uh, uh, rather yeah. than what we later learn is Yubaba's uh, little chip. Her control. It's like what you get yeah. when you get the <laughs> vaccine. <laughs> yeah. and Bill Gates is Yubaba. <laughs> Bill Gates is Yubaba. Um, <laughs> and, and so now yeah. she she has to do this train ride, which you know. But then she also has to deal with the fact that No Face is asking for her and like gobbling up like most of the residents and turning everybody into these greedy, like worst versions of themselves. And it's like all of a sudden the whole bathhouse just depends on Chihiro. Like she, she's come from being this useless, like whiny, somewhat whiny, uh, understandably so, but still uh, yeah. like kind of timid thing to just everybody is depending on her. And she like yeah. gets no face to realize that they're also blaming her for having let no face in which she's and she just she doesn't she's like oh yeah shit that was me <laughs> yeah she's like right she even owns up to that like yeah. it's not my fault exactly if you want to be <laughs> yeah she's like i think it was yeah, like, but yeah. she doesn't uh, try to make excuses no face starts realizing this isn't the i think he thought this was the way to get to to chihiro or because he doesn't yeah. seem satisfied by anything that's going on he just seems like he's on a bender Kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um, he's like drunk texting her nonstop. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, or like leaving her voicemails yeah, like on uh, yeah. swingers. <laughs> exactly. Uh, then uh, Lynn just uh, in this beautiful scene takes her to the train station on a boat, yeah. like a little two-person boat that she uh, right because she decides that she's going to save uh, Haku by giving back the uh, yeah. the. The gold seal to, to Zaniba, the twin, and apologize to her house. And, yeah, and apologizing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how it's like I'm gonna go apologize. It's not just like I'm gonna go return it and ask her. Like, it's she's really just taking like, yeah. I love it because she's just like I'm gonna apologize on behalf of Haku, but she, she could just say like I'm gonna go give it back and just be like, come on, turn it back or whatever. Yeah, but no, she's respectful. 
So she goes, it's a beautiful scene. Like the water is like crystalline. Ah. Like just, you can see it. It's the best shallow, scene to me uh, in the, the movie. Like that's like my favorite scene. No face following yeah. her to the train station, barfing yeah. up the frog at the last, at the, that was the last <laughs> little bit of like their greed and filth that he, he had in him. And then just wants to get on the train. And he and yeah. she gives him a ticket, and like he comes on and looks at her. She's sitting down with the oh, we, the mouse and the bird, and he just goes like ah, uh, ah, uh. no. and she <laughs> asks him to sit down next to it, and it's like that's all. That was it. Like that moment of like, okay, you can sit next to me now. Yeah, uh, and she's she needed to mature. She needed to learn. She like worked hard and took responsibility, but the part of her that is. St- that she's maintained i think yeah is this like the childlike acceptance she's not like she's obviously disgusted at the smell of the river spirit but she's not put off by him she's not put off right. by no face like the way that everybody's like so judgy she's just not judgy in the way that little kids can be yeah. like you know they see somebody who's like grossly disfigured because of an accident and they just like ask them like hey what happened you know like yeah they, like, no that's right i'm not gonna judge i'm not and and clearly no face is just wants someone to want no face to sit next to them you know yeah and she it's just the simplest thing totally lynn is like are you really gonna let him follow yeah. you like or come on like and, and she's like hey. Come on, you know, let the right. guy. And Lynn <laughs> is, it's fair enough from Lynn's totally, point of view. Totally, like it's been devouring them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like and Lynn is acting her role as the older, responsible uh, young adult, you know, like you yeah. better not fuck with her. I'll, I'll kill you, right. you know, but exactly. that's no face has no interest in doing that. He just wants what Chihiro is giving him. In fact, that's another thing, yeah. you know, in the moment where he's trying to just give her like all this gold, she says, you can't give me what I need right now, which is a thing that just completely sends him uh, off the rails. And that's because what she needs is to do something for somebody else. It's not gold. It's not something he can conjure out of thin air. Yeah. It's like helping somebody that she loves yeah. or I don't know like what the deal is there. but <laughs> Yeah, it's unclear what that is. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a thousands of years age difference there. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, so then you have this train ride, which I don't know, like if you know this movie, if you love this movie, this is... It's so hard to describe. There are these people. They look like shadows of humans. Yep. To me, they look like, I guess ever since I've seen those shadow people, they look like people caught between between worlds like it's like they're it's almost like they're riding a train in the real world and we're in just like the spirit dimension of that train and we're just getting a glimpse of their shadows like yeah it's like they're half dead from working all day yeah so they're like have a foot in the spirit world they look like they're like uh like salesmen in like a 40s and 50s movies (laughs) like shadows of that you know but they're not like unhappy but they're just the it's been a long day and they're getting you know it's like creaking to get their luggage and oh god and and i love the fact that the little the mouse who's the baby is looking out of the window because it's like out the window and, and and so that puts us in the perspective of being a child and seeing this new world for the first time this baby has been denied like access to the outside world and now the baby is seeing this and and yet None of this is overplayed or, or even no, played. No, you can you can actually miss the the baby and the the bird is sort of like yeah. 
Is the bird holding up the baby? At, at that the point, baby up yeah. By, at the then window? later they're yeah, sleeping, yeah. so it also gives yeah. like a, like a great sense of the oh, so length crazy. and the long, like the yeah. length of this long train ride. And yeah, it, but you could totally miss looking at everything else. You could totally miss that the little baby rat is looking out the window. Yeah, and the music is just utterly like just sublime. This is why this movie is a total masterpiece classic yeah <laughs> meanwhile the three heads are finally revealed to be <laughs> the yeah and haku calls her out yeah. like it's a great scene because haku is like yubaba is sitting there counting the gold that that uh, no face is given and haku is is like back in his boy form and he's like you've not even realized that's the thing you care about is is actually like fake. Yeah, it's been replaced. Right, and you didn't. And she notice just thinks that. it's the gold. You, you didn't even notice that. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she thinks it's the gold. Yeah, like it just shows her her values. Yeah. and then at some point, in kind of in horror, she realizes yeah. that it's actually her baby. Which mm-hmm. again, it's not that she only cares about money and doesn't care about the baby. She cares about the baby a lot to a fault yeah, almost. Totally. Haku now, because he's not being controlled, can speak his mind. Then the three heads are like, I got to get the hell out of here. And they just bounce <laughs> out. <laughs> I just love the way they bounce. All right, all right, yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> they finally get the train has been slowly emptying out. It's like dark. It's dark now. It really also just gets like a a train ride, you know, like in a new place. Yeah, she's like she's like in Coney Island yeah, at this point. Exactly. You know? <laughs> and a bouncing like squeaking lamp meets them at the again. So, it's so. that's a very Miyazaki, but also Disney thing. It was a nod to Pixar. So oh, was it because yeah, Toy because John Lasseter. Yeah. Yeah, Miyazaki and and John Lasseter uh, from Pixar are friends. In fact, John Lasseter directed the English dubs, which is one reason I was okay watching the the English dubs. Like, like I was like, well, okay, if if that guy, if the I Pixar guess. guy put some work into it, um, he did. He was a huge champion of uh, Miyazaki, yeah. and they also Disney also uh, gave a little money for yeah. uh, because this was a very expensive movie to animate. For the time, it was for a while even hard to get right. Miyazaki like movies. Yeah, um, yeah. and Lasseter yeah. was the big uh, way, like entry point for uh, yeah. American audiences. The DVDs were something that Disney put together for American audiences, and yeah, you would have to get like fan subs, yeah. you know, like get just like bootlegged versions with fan subs right. translated. Right. Yeah. So then we meet, uh, what's her name? Zibabi, Zubab. Zaniba. Zaniba, the, 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 I guess the kindly twin. She says there are two aspects of the same being, essentially, but, and that makes them fight. Yeah, she says, but we couldn't be more different. Yeah, we couldn't be more different. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, and this is where, you know, somebody pointed out, like, so she lives in this little house in the country. Yeah. And um, somebody was saying that, like, their interpretation was Miyazaki, again, saying, like, one of them lives in this excess of decadence and, like, uh, as Zaniva calls it, like a tacky. Yeah, Um, which it is. It's very tacky. It's totally tacky, yeah. yeah. And and Zaniva, the the, the identical twin, lives in this very humble, like, country house. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very nice scene. You know, we're already in this mood from the train ride of being, like, okay, now you get to the place and you're tired, but... You get tea, you get, she makes you feel at home. She's teaching the the crew to knit. 
And yeah. but she can't save, she says, her the her dragon boyfriend. She called it all by herself. <laughs> um, and she and then Chihiro says, I like I, I remember him, but I can't you know like I don't know where. And she says something along the lines of everything that happens to you stays with you, even if you can't remember it. Which is, I think a hugely important line in the movie. Yeah, totally. Then she she wants to leave and she says, just stay a little longer. I think she knows Haku is fine and probably coming back to to pick her up. But that everything that happens to you stays with you, even if you can't remember it. I always think of as like a very comforting line as a parent because there's so many like awesome memories that I've have with Eliza. She doesn't remember. So I like to think that she like some part of her still retains it even if she doesn't remember it i mean i think it's yeah. true like it, and yeah and i also think miyazaki this is like such a miyazaki philosophy yeah. and i think that like i don't know if he's ever said anything like this but i feel as if one of the goals with his films is to like make you remember the part of childhood yeah. that you think you've forgotten right to, to just rekindle some it. of his movies not all of his movies yeah, to yeah. reactivate it like to remind you it's still there but like yeah. it does it's dormant and it yeah. needs in the same way that Chihiro when she's flying with Haku that's the thing that she needs she needed this like you know because in that same flowing yeah, way right. that he's flying her as a dragon she was in the river that's where she kind of has the epiphany um yeah. yeah, and it's just really nice. She has to go when he comes there, and it's beautiful. And then uh, she, and then No Face stays with her, which is like he no find, like he has he has a companion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and like, kind of like I feel like a safe a safe place to develop a real identity, like you know where he's not in danger of being polluted by all of those yeah like terrible the greed of the bad spirits so, yeah. So. Which itself isn't that bad, though. That's the thing about Miyazaki. It's like the people at the bathhouse are nice, too, though. Yeah. But I guess we should talk about. So the train was one way. She was going to walk back, but instead she gets a flight on Haku as dragon. And that's where she remembers. And that's just so cool. Like, I, I I mean, I tear up constantly in this movie but that's like when the things fall off and she says she remembers him she's the the he was a river and but he saved her when she was young and now he has his name back yeah which was was kohaku which was like yeah. dude your name is haku <laughs> right. it's like not that bad yeah yeah and like that animation when as oh, soon God. as he's like yeah my name was kohaku and just like the scales fall off yeah. like and then he's just like the boy my first thought is always like they're gonna fall you maybe yeah maybe you, <laughs> you should have told him right you're now. like what i had that same thought <laughs> Yeah, like don't tell him this while you're uh, like mid thousand feet in the air, <laughs> and and they do fall. They fall all the way until like they're about to hit the ground, and he just reveals that he can like actually fly. I didn't remember like how they got. I was like, is the mouse? Does the mouse save them? I mean, the flying bird and the mouse. Like, do they like hold them up? Like, I don't remember this. Uh, but yeah, actually, he just kind of eases down. Yeah. Like he's. Uh, <laughs> they look like they're they're 
skydiving like their hair is it's cool you know like they're they're holding yeah. hands and, and it's like so she's like i'm so happy and it's just so beautiful and the music and there she starts crying and the tears are oh, like yeah. floating up in the air <laughs> and, and, and the like mouse the, tries the mouse to grab the, the tears <laughs> yeah. it's so awesome it's so yeah. good <laughs> i can't so good. take it uh, <laughs> uh yeah and so then we here we finally get to to she makes it back and yeah. now like now's the parent thing. It, she has to like yeah she has to pick out her parents and I've always thought that was the one flaw in the movie. It's like okay yeah, enough too. like enough tests yeah. you know <laughs> you know and the baby even the baby's like I'm not gonna like you anymore mom <laughs> if you like give her if you hassle her anymore she's like but I have to it's a rule. You know, yeah. and you know, maybe it is. I don't know the rules. Uh, the bureaucrats, you know, like it's like <laughs> Brazil. But um, also, it's like she has to be able to wreck. Like she has to not forget her parents. Like that was yeah. the thing. Yeah, that was set up. Like to be fair, up. that was set up. That yeah. was set up, and um, it's important for her. Even thematically, I think she's she, she's made a name for herself. She has uh, like literally recovered her name. But she is also like grown up, matured, and like you know she's been a hero. But now she also has to remember that she's a daughter of these parents, and yeah. so she has to do that. I don't totally but get the thing. Is they're the... not there. It's like so yeah, that was a yeah, little like... trick. Did she do it a little extra trick there? I feel like she did. She's still being mischievous. Like uh, yeah, none of them were actually her parents, and then she's like, none of these are my parents, and then they all turn back into the spirits and they cheer for her. Everybody cheers. Like, why? Why couldn't you have just made her parents be there? <laughs> uh, yeah, and the whole bathhouse is on her side now. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, then she has to uh, go back. You know, like, Yubaba's still not thrilled about it. She doesn't like to lose a valuable worker. <laughs> yeah. You know, that like, uh, but yeah. she, uh, she allows them to go. The parents, no memory of anything that happened. They're walking back in a totally symmetrical scene to walking <laughs> through the tunnel. The mother says the same thing about not clinging. And yeah, and this is, I wanted to make that like there's this thing where she clings to her mom still. Yeah. yeah. And, and I've, she I've, says the exact same thing. Don't cling to me. You're don't cling. The but to me, the clinginess of the first scene is such a different thing that's than what's going on now, where there's two things. One, obviously, she's so happy to have her parents back, like that she's yeah. like, of course you want to like hold on tight. But two, I feel like I could be overinterpreting here, but I feel like when I see that, I think Chihiro's been through this huge, like, whole ordeal that's very, like, forced her to mature. But as she's walking back, I feel like she still has some childhood to live. Like, and I think she, she can embrace that yeah she's still like can be that child like for maybe a couple more years you know like she's she's clearly matured but like there's yeah. still still nothing wrong with it's not with clinging mom, anymore in know? the like pejorative sense it is yeah it's like um yes i am this is a new experience and yes i am capable i've learned that i'm capable and empowered it's like unclear how much she remembers of anything that happened. And then th they get to their car, and this is where, like, if you want to say this is all a dream, well, like, yeah. the car, there's, like, overgrowth on the car. So they've clearly been gone a long yeah. time. 
Yeah. And, uh, and I'm sorry, like, whatever. If you know anything about Miyazaki, you know that, like, no, this yeah. was an actual experience for her. Like, yeah, this is not. Like, like, it's like, a dream <laughs> in the sense that life is a dream. Like, it's yeah, not exactly. uh, a dream in any Yeah. Spirits life. aren't metaphors for me. I mean, they're metaphors for, like, in the sense that they're metaphors for us all. But, like. Yeah. Like he takes it seriously. Uh, yeah, I mean, you could. I, like, I'm not. I wouldn't rule out like a dream interpretation because it's very dreamy and all that. But I do think it. He doesn't make like David Lynch doesn't make a huge distinction between dream and not yeah. dream. Um, in the dubbed version now, as it's in the subtitled version, the original Japanese version with no subtitles because it's for Japanese people. The car just drives away. The end. In the dubbed version, they have this final little tacked-on thing for the American dipshits uh, where the father, Michael Ch uh, Chiklis, uh, Vic Mackey, says, new school, uh, new uh, new house, like, it could be a little scary, right? And she says, I think I can handle it. And that's just completely put in, it's not part of the movie. It is something that your boy, John Lasseter, <laughs> just fed for the American morons that couldn't get from <laughs> everything that happened that like, yes, she is, she will feel more prepared. Like it has to be spoon fed to these dipshits. Yeah. You know, it's funny because like I watched the, the dub in the, in the sub back to like one day after the other. And I didn't encode that that was, like I didn't explicitly encode that that was there, but like when I was watching today the dub, I was like, "Oh, that was heavy-handed." Yeah. Like I don't remember. Like the the Japanese must have been more subtle. Like I, right. but I didn't. It's just yeah. not even there. That my memory of it, <laughs> having seen, I, I've had this realization like five years ago. But I remember that, like, because I watched it dubbed the first time because Eliza was five or six or whatever. Right, of course. Yeah. And then yeah. from then on, watch subtitles. And I guess what I had thought was. It's like not as heavy handed as I think I can handle it. And maybe she doesn't speak, but he at least says something like yeah, new school. Right. New No, there's no conversation. They're just in the car. It's <laughs> zero. It's like done. Like the movie is done at that point. And that's, I feel like, almost unforgivable for the dubbed version. It's, to... it's the least surprising thing that an American uh, movie would do. Yeah. But like, I'm totally with you. Like, that's just, oh. I've heard that other Miyazaki movies have been butchered more than this one. Yeah. Um, in that way. So. Yeah. I, this is the only like egregious thing that I remember. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I loved it when I saw it dubbed. I thought it was incredible. So like, it's not like it ruins right. it, but uh, <laughs> at all, but. Um, it is a very American. That thing, is a, but... to do that at the end is just. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, we recorded this late. So we should wrap up. But what a movie. Yeah. What a movie. Love it so much. Yeah. I hope you've watched it if you've gotten to this point in the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like people have seen this movie now. But maybe not. I hadn't. All Somebody right. Somebody hasn't. Join us next time on Very Bad Wizards.